Welcome to PMP Tracking News. My name is Nick. So one of the things I really enjoy about the sport of track cycling, especially at local grassroots level, is the people that you meet, um, normally kind of a cast of characters outside of your day-to-day um, -day circles. And my guest in this episode is certainly one of those. He was a successful junior cyclist racing for New Zealand overseas, but pulled back from the sport uh, during his 20s, partied quite a lot, and by his own admission became an alcoholic. Uh, remarkably, he's come through that. He's made an impressive return to the sport, uh, racing on the track. So here's my chat with Johnny Holton. Um, and apologies, we do have a few sound issues during the recording. How you doing, Johnny? Good, Nick. Yourself? Pretty good, thank you. So, Johnny... Um, you turned up at the track two, three seasons ago uh, on a steel, old steel bike, which everyone was like, oh, that's cool, pretty retro. Um, and then a few tales of, oh, yeah, used to race back in the day and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then over the last few years, you've sort of worked your way from C grade up to A grade now and uh, getting points and positions in A grade. and uh, Swinging on the back. <laughs> no, absolute nonsense um and uh noticed you know there's you sort of on our facebook pages and stuff there's the old comment like oh is that is that johnny um so you've obviously got a bit of a story and um as i've got to know you you've kind of talked about a few things in your life and your days as a junior and um the part in between um and then you're sort of you're more recent years coming back as a, as a master to the sport. Um, and I think it's a <laughs> great story. Um, and yeah, so we're going to, we're going to cover that today. Uh, so yeah, Johnny, like when, when did you start getting into the sport? I, I was, I must've been 15 when I picked up cycling. Um, Oh, I mean, I started riding bike obviously as soon as I could, um, but I'd always been that kid when um, that liked pushing himself. Um, you know, we'd be driving somewhere in the family car, and I'd ask if I could get out and run from here if we were close to it. You know, five k from our destination. And around fourteen, this strange sport called triathlon came along. Um, so I gave that a bit of a nudge. Um, got a decent bike set up. <clears throat> Didn't buy a wetsuit, however, so did some 5Ks, oh, sorry, kilometre and a half sea swims, 2K sea swims in Wellington Harbour, came out and got straight into an ambulance with hypothermia. And in the process of trying to get fit for these triathlons, I showed up at the Kapiti Cycling Club and raced in their novice events. So back then, the age categories were slightly different. Uh, the, a junior... There was juniors and novices before you became a senior. Um, and a novice was under 16. Um, and a junior was 16 and 17 and obviously under 18. Um, so everything's going to shift a little bit these days. Um, so I raced all the novice events um, and limited gearing. So on 82.8 inch, inch gearing. Um, spinning away on tiny little gears around little street circuits in Kapiti. Uh, so I started racing around the Wellington area as well. Um, we had, there's a couple of other young folk 
who were who were racing in my age it was never very well populated these these races um as a novice or a cult we were also called um one of the riders that i did encounter who became my uh my pseudo teenage nemesis was harry kent jr um <clears throat> we had quite the the rivalry friendly rivalry um but he was a is is quite a bit bigger than I was, um, and is a powerful bastard, as you can imagine, with his um his father being a world champion. He still is very powerful, first, Harry Kane Junior, isn't he? Yeah, our first ever world champion, from my understanding, is that right, Harry Harry Senior? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Harry and I every weekend would battle it out in the streets of the Hutt Valley and Whiteman's Valley, and would ride these short little novice races that were really just um, me trying to shake Harry off my tail um, and then him beating me in a sprint at the end. Um, that went on for a couple of years until I finally trained to the point where I could out-sprint Harry and beat him in the Wellington-centred novice champs. Um, yeah, that was quite a milestone for me. It made me realise that maybe I could make a goal of cycling. Um because he was no slouch, and obviously from a fine pedigree, um, I'd had a great coach leading up to that point. Uh, a guy called Rex Harris who ran the local bike shop. Um, and I changed coaches to an ex-national road cycling champion, a guy called Lynn Cooper, and he had a bit more of a long view and a bit more of a um, he had the right approach for my age and, and what my goals were um so I jumped on board with him and he was also someone I could ride with while I was training which really helped um and the focus was to make New New Zealand junior team the following year you obviously got the selection at some point um and was this for yeah I was like a tour or something um, they they rode they ran trials back then for national selection um Mm. which ran it's an odd thing to do in retrospect, but it, it ran a month either side of nationals. Um, so everyone was in form, but for some reason, <laughs> they decided to run a separate race for trials for selection. Um, maybe it was because of the um, the way nationals are written. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> but I was in the middle of a six-form, seven-form kayaking trip down the Rangitika and my father picked me up mid-trip at Bulls. I jumped out of a kayak into the car, drove to Whanganui and rode the New Zealand Junior Trials. A um, couple of guys got up the road and I won the bunchie, um, and which I think really helped me get selected because, you know, if you're putting a team together, you want to send a sprinter. And that was my thing. So having won the bunch sprint at National Road Trials, um, I made the second tier New Zealand junior team. Um, I hadn't performed as well as I would have liked to at nationals. Um, and there was a pretty star-studded first-tier team that went to Worlds. Um, so my team went to, we were really lucky, we went to Turtle in Canada. Um, and... We wrote, so we wrote a seven-day tour there with teams from all over the world. We were racing the Russians, the Italians, the French, the Belgians, the, you know, um, the Italians. Every 
big cycling nation you can get your hands on. Um, it was pretty intimidating, actually, to be quite honest. Um, there's towering duchies in the, you know, the height of the how fast everyone was going in the nineties, suspiciously. Um, and so this was. Um, you said this was a second. Uh, so it was a ninety-three. It was. A, you said it was like a second-tier team, though, but. Yeah, so they chose a team. They chose two junior teams that year. One went to the Worlds, and we were really lucky. We actually got sent to more racing. Um, yeah. There was a little bit of an overlap between the two teams. Um, like Julian Dean, for instance, was in the first-tier team. Um, we had we still had likes of Lee Vertigen, who ended up being a really mm-hmm. prominent trackie over the years. We rode the Tour de Labatibi in Canada. We also rode uh, what was called the Tour of the Future in, in Arizona. Um, so having got our asses handed to us in Canada, we came down to Arizona and rode a, rode a week-long tour against just American teams. And we, we were pretty dominant, to be honest. Um, I was leading the points, you know, the points competition within the tour. And then later that year, we went to Ara- no, not we went to New Caledonia and rode Oceania Games. Um, right. So probably the fanciest version of Oceania Games you get to ride in this country is you know go and ride them at a French resort island. Um, and that was good fun. Really hot. We rode a time trial on the first day there, and a road race on the last day. Stinking hot road race that started at seven in the morning and. I think I finished seventh. Because it sounds like a dream, right? It's what we all wanted when we were younger. Those of us who didn't make it to that level, you know, the dream sort of going on tour or the national team or something like that, you know, it sounds amazing. But, you know, what what was the the end effect on your kind of, your career, do you think? One of the realizations I had, one of the realizations I had was the idea that, um, I was just—it was Canada mainly that did it to me because a lot of the teams who were racing in Canada, they were on their way to the worlds, mm. and the level that that I was exposed to, the level of junior athletes that I was racing with, they were operating at a higher level than our top senior athletes in this country, and I knew how much further I was behind the likes of Brian Fowler, who would have been our top. Uh, Kiwi road cyclist at the time, like he was just worlds faster than me, and these guys were an, another level above that. And um, as a young teenager, you you kind of want to win, and um, and realizing that you, you you just weren't even in the same league as these guys was pretty demoralizing, to be honest. I and I was I just I was at the end of high school. So I really needed to make a decision as to whether I was going to become a full-time athlete and still never, you know, realistically get to the level these guys were at or just start a life and heading in a different direction, you know, in academia or pursue a career. Um, and I just sort of chose a confused version of, 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 of the two. Um, I went off to university. Um, I still dabbled in cycling, but... I'd kind of lost that drive having mm. just been exposed to such talent overseas. In retrospect, there was a lot more work I could have done to get to that level. You know, I understand, and I think everyone in the sport understands a lot more about training, physiology, nutrition. You know, I was just a kid from Kapiti 
um, riding around, you know, the back blocks and doing some local crits and expecting to perform at a at a world tour near level. But would um, um, wouldn't like your the governing body who was at the time Bike NZ wouldn't they have sort of said, "This is what you need to do. Don't worry." You know, would, were they not sort of encouraging? They, they surely don't want their athletes to just come home demoralized and quit. So to be honest, man, it was pretty. It was pretty underwhelming. Um, the support we got um, back then, like we there was there was no financial support. Uh, we're, I, I beat the streets fundraising. I think eight grand that year looking for a sponsorship, but you know, pub mm. charity and managed to raise the money. Um, but I really scraped it together through local businesses and you know, some a couple of generous people. Um, they, they I, I didn't really see any, um, there was, there was no direction as to what our training and preparation should look like. You know, we were really just, um, we were given the go-ahead to go and race yeah. and that was about it yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't super inspiring the, the experience was but at the same time being a realist um i i had to kind of adjust my my goals and my yeah. um yeah my expectations of myself within the sport you know so um so you kind of was... let the, the the racing aspect slide a bit i suppose and move into I a I, quote unquote normal life <laughs> yeah yeah i mean when it, i left university in my um in my mid-20s and i dabbled as a cycle career because i loved riding a bike always loved riding a bike you know from mm. as soon as i could ride one um and you know as you know it's a, that's a fun job you're on your bike all day every day and and have if you're on your bike for eight or nine hours a day then you've got a pretty bloody good base level of fitness that you can translate into almost any race you can imagine mm -hmm. so i'd still show up at races um but i was really just there to have fun and then got into my 30s got a little bit more career oriented um had a child got a little bit more parenting oriented um and <clears throat> but it always kind of you know my priority the priority in life admittedly was um having a good time and um and you know enjoying my life but w wasn't really keen to sign up to be a serious athlete again so w then, when you say having a good time what are we <laughs> what are we talking I, mean, I, I, I like to party um and i think that that may very well be a function um or product of being a high level athlete as a teenager um because when you train really hard, you know, your body does releases chemicals, um, releases drugs essentially, um, into, into your, your brain, your consciousness. And so operating on a, operating on a, on a level where you're essentially getting high every day as a teenager, um, on endorphins, um, and then stopping that, I think you become really vulnerable to chasing that feeling from other places, um, from other sources. And so I was quite, uh, I, I embraced you know, drinking and partying pretty enthusiastically because I was also, you know, from, I guess, you know, just general, my makeup, but also from pushing myself all those years and all that training, I was, I was pretty bloody resilient. 
Um, so I can get away with uh, partying ever so slightly harder than most people and still still being, still functioning at a good level, um, you know, still showing up and kicking ass at, at work, um, whatever work may be. In, in my recent years and and in my 40s, I, I have to admit that I, I was drinking much more habitually um, than I ever wanted to. And it was certainly exacerbated by um, a pandemic and mm. quite a lot of staying at home um, where we, 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 we all joked about um, day drinking. But for me, that was um, my coping mechanism and how I... I got through my days. Certainly led to me drinking more than I ever felt comfortable drinking. I was in towards the end of 2021. I was drinking every day and I was drinking. I was never a daytime drinker. This is at the end of the day when I finished my job. Mm. <clears throat> but I kind of peaked out at two bottles of wine a night and um and and did that solidly for a year or so and realized that I needed to change. And um and there's lots of sort of triggering moments <clears throat> um, to do with work and relationships and the likes. And so one day I just said enough's enough and I quit drinking and told everyone I was quitting drinking and and I and I did. And did you did you get any help with that? Like did you just manage it on I, yourself or I mean I thought about I thought about reaching out. So, you know, there's obviously organizations and um, initiatives in place where people can seek help. Um, I, th- I was aware of those and I thought about doing that. But uh, being the way I'm wired, I enjoy the challenge of just pushing myself in an entirely new way. And the, the new way I was pushing myself was seeing if I could cope with not drinking, <laughs> um, which wasn't comfortable. And I realized I needed to do something else. And um exercise was always enjoyable to me so cycling seemed like a great option i would drive to work every day from granada north through to haru valley up through johnsonville and i've seen this guy riding his bike um <laughs> a few times now with a courier bag which is going to caught my eye because i was like that's a courier bag i know because i've been a courier and then I got a little bit closer and printed on the back of this bag is this sign saying, come race me at Wellington Velodrome. And I was like, Wellington Velodrome's running? Operational? It turned out that was you, Nick. It was, and, yeah. Um, I'm, so, I'm so glad that sign, after riding around with it for about five years, has finally snagged someone. <laughs> it was effective, man, um, because it, it just planted the thought in my mind that there was racing happening at Wellington Velodrome and uh, that was something I could connect with and before I did any training this is um this is a month after stopping drinking I showed up barely any training I think I'd been for a couple of rides um and I showed up to a Sunday club racing day at the velodrome um and I started unloading my my wagon and my bike and the guy pulled up next to me in a car ended up being Tim Chai and I asked him what grade I should race in. And he's like, mm, what have you been doing lately? I was like, well, well not much for the last 27 years. Um, <laughs> but I was, I, I was all right back back then. And he's like, mm, C grade, I think, Johnny. 
So I jumped into C grade and proceeded to um, get my ass handed to me like I was back racing the Dutchies um, by, by your 12-year-old son mm-hmm. and Millie Donald and um, Laurie. And re- but really enjoyed the racing, you know, showed up week after week and got got thoroughly thrashed by the C graders to the but to the end of the season I think I started turning it around and winning a few races. Um that was it was the end of twenty the twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two season. Yeah. And um turned all last winter uh, with the goal to come back and race B grade. Um and did that, raced B grade and managed to scratch my way, claw my way all to the top of B grade. And then by the end of last season, just finished, I was able to jump into A grade and get a couple of second places in some Indeed. elimination races. Yeah. yeah. So I was really, really happy with that with that journey. Um, and with my choice to jump back into cycling, um, it kind of helped me turn my life around. And I realized that I still love it. And... I don't need to be the best bloody cyclist in the world um, because just like it was back when I was a, a kid, the most important race is the, the race you're in, you know, and that, that's how it always has been. And and I think that's why we all still keep showing up, right? Because yeah. as soon as you pin that number on, um, something happens to you and, and it's all go and you can kind of shut everything else out and, you know, just love your racing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great, like, having you down at the track, Johnny, I think. Um, and I do remember that first time you turned up on that old bike and it's like, who's this guy? And sort of saying, oh, I used to race. <laughs> and you're, like, looking at that bike and you're like, yeah, well, I guess, but, you know, that's a pretty cool <laughs> bike. But <laughs> uh, you've been, actually, you've raced on the boards in Cambridge, uh, which ended spectacularly um but also with some broken ribs um <laughs> and you've you've yeah. knocked yourself again recently haven't you but um i'm guessing you're hoping for a good season yeah i am man it's not going to start the way that i intended it to because i've yeah i crashed in the masters scratch race at cambridge at masters track nationals crashed out by the reigning world champion which is at least a good story to tell um, and then managed to fall off in a greasy corner on the way home from a Kapiti club race uh, that I was riding out and back to with with some folks um, and landed square on the ribs that I broke three months previously. Well, look, Johnny, we've got to leave it there, but thanks yeah, so much for telling your story. And uh, I'm sure anyone who wants to talk boys, uh, okay to come up and have a chat on a Sunday or something. Um Absolutely. All right. Take care, Johnny. See you soon. Cheers, mate. It's been a pleasure.